Hi, I'm Harriet, a mental health professional and educator, and this is Dawn Breaks, the podcast all about finding hope and maybe also healing after reaching rock bottom. This week, I'm talking to the gorgeous Ali Swift. But before we start, I just want to mention that we are going to be speaking about extreme anxiety and panic attacks during today's episode. We don't necessarily go into lots of detail about this, but I just want you to know that this conversation is is in here and we briefly touch on loss as well. So just that you've got a heads up about what the contents of today's episodes are going to be, just so that you're ready for it. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Dawn Breaks. And I am so excited to welcome the lovely Ali who's joining us today. So welcome. Hi, Harriet. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you. How about you? Yeah, good. Thank you. It's a good good day. (laughs) Good. Oh, it's a real pleasure to have you on. So thanks for joining us. So I know you know quite a bit about the podcast already, but what I like to do for anyone who's listening for the first time is kind of take people back in time and to a time when you were finding things a bit more tricky and potentially feeling quite low in yourself. And then we sort of work our way forward with the things that might have brought you hope or helped you and supported you. And then bring people on to all the amazing stuff that you're doing now which I'm really excited to get on to so we sort of follow it in time order so I wonder if there is a time that you'd be happy to share with us where you were feeling quite low or potentially a bit hopeless and and one that you'd be happy to talk about with us yeah sure there's actually been two key times in my life so I'll take you back to the first which is 2006 Mm. Um, I was 26 years old and for the eight years prior to that I was really struggling with anxiety and panic attacks but I really didn't know that's what it was and I was going through quite a difficult home life at that time there was quite on and off could be quite traumatic with various things that were happening but also I had thrown myself into work and I was actually a really successful career girl you know put that suit on every day go out to work and that's where all my adrenaline went well Mm. and the uh, I partied hard as well (laughs) so from the outside looking in um I looked like I had it all you Mm. know good job good salary great party life but I was really really struggling and actually the kind of trauma if you like in the difficult time went away and then literally a year later my anxiety was at its all-time worst and I was feeling hopeless completely hopeless one day I got up went through that normal struggle that I did every day with getting through that front door Mm. and actually couldn't get through the front door so I literally just fell on the floor and I, my my hand physically wouldn't allow me. My mind and my body were not going to let me open that front door. Mm. And I was scared. I was petrified. And that's the day I always say I hit my rock bottom. Yeah. But also probably a really good day for me long term. I just didn't realise it at the time. It's so interesting that you say that, actually, because I think people do flip that perspective when they get past it. But yeah, it oh, yeah. sounds... It sounds like awful. And your body is just saying, no, enough is enough. No more. I'm not yeah, doing enough's it. Enough's enough. You've been doing this now for eight, nine years. I'm not going to let you do it anymore. You're going to have to deal with this. It makes me feel emotional just saying Aww. that. And then I found a way, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. And then actually in 2019, after 14 years mm. of living relatively, I'd say anxiety free. I had a few blips after the children were born, new parenthood, motherhood mm. and various other things. I started to experience the same feelings again and the same extreme, what I would say, like crippling anxiety. And it was really scary because I had children. Yeah. Now it was different to that 26 year old. Mm. And just it, it felt scarier because um, I was scared about what I was capable of doing. I started to experience OCD intrusive thoughts. I believed the children would be better off without me, Gosh. which obviously led to more intrusive thoughts which I'm sure you can imagine Mm. and I spiraled again really really quickly felt really hopeless and I just Mm. thought I can't do this again 
Mm. I can't, I haven't got it in me to thinking back to what happened, you know, eight years before. I'm sorry, 14 years before, 13 years. I'm trying to think now. It's 2006, yeah, it was um, Mm. 2019 that I um, I struggled again. But I did find a way, and I'm sure again, we'll, uh, and actually I found a way really quite quickly compared to the first time around. That's interesting, isn't it? About the the low points somehow each time we have slightly more resources so there's something about that snapping back that can be potentially quicker or potentially I'm not going to say easier because it's never easier (laughs) but but you have more skills more resources maybe so I wonder if Ali you can tell us a little bit about what that anxiety showed up like for you like what did that look like on a day-to-day basis so every morning I would wake up with butterflies that's literally Mm. the first feeling and even more so the kind of what I call the second time round. it was like I would wake up and my whole body would just be full of adrenaline and I won't I can't think oh I'd had a nightmare or a bad Mm. dream I'd literally woke up and that's it boom full of adrenaline um butterflies so I struggle with the burps if I'm really nervous or I've got anxiety I have wind (laughs) um I get brain fog really badly Mm. OCD intrusive thoughts so that's where the mind's just being completely brainwashed with negative thinking fidgety pins Mm. and needles in my hands and feet sickness I'd have to run to the toilet this is when I'm having anxiety and kind of they're, they're heading towards like more like panic attacks, yeah. headaches. I never really experienced migraines until 2019. Um, and then I was having really quite colourful migraines. Gosh. And just that constant feeling that something really bad's about to happen. Um, and what was quite scary about 2019 is that I thought it was me that was going to make that bad thing happen, oh, which was yeah. scary because mm. I was thinking, what's bad's going to happen, and what am I? What is it that I'm going to do? So yeah, it was. It's just scary, but it used to stop me going back to 2006. I really struggled going into supermarkets. I'd often leave my trolley at the till and leave without even paying because I couldn't stand in the queue eating out I'd have to eat with my back to the rest of the restaurant I wouldn't want people to see me Mm. um and because this really shocks people because I'm such like quite an outgoing party girl Mm. yet if I was sober going into a restaurant I would be very aware that you know people couldn't see my face and I also would choose food off the menu that could be swallowed easily, which is why I actually like going for a curry because it was very saucy. Yeah. But I wouldn't eat anything that I think like a steak that I'd have to chew on. Yeah. So wow. um, it becomes quite, you know, it completely takes over your life and the way you think about everything. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was a really lonely place for someone that was quite, you know, had a lot of friends around her. Um, it was, it's quite a lonely place to be in your own head when you're just worrying about everything. I used to take different routes to work in the car. That was, I haven't, I didn't do that in 2019, but mm. in 2006, well, leading up to the, all those years, I used to take different routes to work just to see if it could make the day better. Gosh. Well, if I went that way, I'd have yeah. a good day. Right, right. Um, and but it's I became like- worse. Sorry, it's almost like trying to control a small thing, isn't it, that then maybe can oh, yeah. control the rest of the day? Yeah, I'd, I'd turn plans down if I didn't feel like I could. I'd always be thinking, but what if I get there and I'd need a, you know, and I have a panic attack? But yeah, it was just the more, just talking about it now, it's like bringing quite a, you know, a few memories of kind of flooding my mind a little bit. Yeah, it just kind of took over. It just became, yeah. you just get used to managing your life around it. Yeah. But then it gets to the point where your body goes, okay, now you need to deal with it. Thank you for being so brave because I can see, you know, it does bring up all of that emotional response, doesn't it? And even though you might be quite distanced in time, you can still step back into that self. And even though now you feel in control, you know, the feelings were really intense. And so when you step back into them, they're still strong and that's really, really hard. So thank you for being so brave. I think it's really important. And it's really important as well that people know that this is how anxiety can show up and it is slightly different for everyone but your symptoms were really physical like Mm -hmm. hugely physical and it's almost sort of 
you couldn't there's no brushing those aside because it's constant you talked about feeling isolated sort of in your head but it's more than that it's in your whole body you know waking up pumped full of adrenaline because of the sort of anxiety that your body was already feeling before you'd even woken up yeah and that that is so intense really really intense and you said at times you mentioned about panic attacks as well so I'm guessing that when it was too much that might have been what happened yeah definitely and it was the physical the one thing I didn't actually mention which really I struggled with in 2019 was the shaking like I'd actually be physically shaking and the nerves I remember actually I'd taken on the radio presenting job and massive imposter syndrome at that first show and I remember I was literally knocking my hand off the table I was trying to use the keyboard and I just thought everyone's gonna there was a panel Mm. I thought everyone's gonna see this and just think that I'm not I shouldn't be doing this I shouldn't probably have done it on that particular day but that's another story um but no one noticed and I'm thinking so was I just shaking internally but it looked Mm. to me like it was externally it was just yeah a bit odd really but yeah I think people are in their own their own heads aren't they you know we imagine when we're in this really intense feeling place we think how can anyone not notice what's going on because it's so physical and it's so obvious to us but actually you know you probably were in some senses I'm almost careful about using the phrase of holding it together because I feel like that's not fair like we don't we shouldn't be holding it together but you would have been coming across as as professional and, and comfortable with what you were doing even if it didn't feel like it and and it's your first show as well you know doing a radio show I think most people would be yeah it was just it was just added to the fact that that was actually the period in 2019 where I'd really started to spiral and it's interesting because in um the February of 2019 when at that point I didn't realize that my mental health was declining but I did start to get some telltale signs because I was Mm. actually in Singapore with friends and they took us to and my friend who lives over there took us to this Turkish quarter beautiful beautiful part of Singapore but it caused me to have flashbacks to actually when my anxiety was really bad in Turkey back in 2000 and I always say 2001 but I think it was 2002 okay and I remember I was actually sat we were all sitting around the dinner table and I suddenly became really quite anxious I thought whoa I haven't had feelings like this for a very long time And I was really, really, as you say, using those words, trying to hold it together. And then afterwards, I said to my best friend, you know, could you tell how bad I was? Because I was really shaking. And she said, I would never have known. She just would not have known. I said, I just felt really anxious for the first time in a long time. And it was, I think it's because it had taken me back to that time, Mm. the smells of the food and things. Mm. It's obviously your brain's clever like that, isn't it? That was a really horrendous time for me back then. And when I was having really bad panic attacks, but had no idea what they were when I was 22. And um, it was fascinating. It fascinated me that my my best friend, who I'm really open with now around my anxiety, Mm. just said, you would not have any idea. You just, I thought you were just sitting there having chats while we're all eating. Isn't that interesting about what is that in us that's able to put, I say in quote marks, put a face on, you know, that you're able to sort of, you talked about putting your, what did you describe it as? Putting your armour on, putting your suit on, going to work. like you could, Yeah. yeah. And it is that thing that you can get dressed and people might do it in a uniform or whatever they, you know, wear for work. And you can, you can put that sort of confident self on, let's say even if we're not feeling it. And I can really relate to that, that whole idea of putting that self on, even though inside I'm shaking like a leaf, you know? Yeah. And it's really, really difficult. And in amazing as well, when you describe someone you're so close to, almost not being able to read it because potentially you're not saying, I'm not okay. Other yeah. people are like, assume that you are because yeah. there's nothing to give them an indicator otherwise. But yeah. And also, that's so interesting what you said there about being triggered by going to the Turkish quarter and being reminded maybe smelling Turkish food or whatever it was. It is so interesting because some of the sort of symptoms of PTSD can be about just smelling a smell that you you associate with a certain time, seeing something, hearing something. And our senses kind of are there to support us all the time, but they hold memories too and that can be quite hard to sort of deal with some of those triggers because you might feel absolutely fine and then some small thing happens which gives you a bit of a trigger 
and I suppose it's about knowing them, isn't it? It's about knowing what your triggers are so that then you can you can straight away identify and know this isn't now. This is yes. something from the past that's just giving me a little bit of a reminder. Yeah. But, but it's so hard to know that in the moment because you can't be outside yourself. You can't be objective. You can only... Yeah you can only know with hindsight so it's, it is really really difficult and it's also interesting you said about there were little indicators and I think there often are with our mental health but it's just whether we're in a space to see them you know I I know from my own mental health fluctuating that sometimes I don't want to see when my mental health isn't isn't going in a good direction and it's it takes and that's as someone who you know, has lots of expertise about mental health, it's still really difficult to manage my own. Like it's not, it's a, it's a constant thing, isn't it? It's not something yeah. that you ever have it mastered, you know, even knowing as much as, as you or I do about mental health. It can oh, be exactly. really, really tricky. Definitely. So I'm interested to know what supported you. So we've talked a little bit about how the anxiety showed up and, and when it showed up. I'm interested to know kind of what supported you. Did it have to get to a certain point before you maybe found some resources and realised you need needed them? Or were there certain things that were there all the way along that then just kicked in and really supported you as you went through that process? Tell us a little bit about that. On the day that I actually, as I say, hit rock bottom, mm. um, I did, I phoned a colleague who actually is a friend. I don't like calling her a colleague because she's actually to this day still one of my really good friends. But I, I phoned her to say, can you tell, you know, my management I won't be in work today yeah. because I was too scared to phone them. And I know that isn't the root this process. I know I knew that that wasn't going to be the acceptable process. But I'm really glad I made that phone call because I don't know how she did it. But within minutes, she just seemed to be outside my front door. And um, she really encouraged me to get help. And it did take a few days, but I eventually did go to the GP. Good. Now, I was in a really fortunate position that my GP had known me since I was four years old. He knew a lot of things that had happened in my life. He knew what could have triggered it. And he said, Ali, I think you're exhausted. I think you've got post-traumatic stress disorder. And I really don't want you to go down the medication route. Okay. I want to offer you, um, well, first of all, he told me to switch off the media. Anything to do with negative on the news, okay. TV programmes, soaps, the films, he also stopped told me to stop drinking coffee and alcohol, so mm. I met him halfway on that. <laughs> uh, I did cut out the caffeine. Um, and he also said, I think you really could do with talking therapy. So he actually said cognitive behavioural therapy. And he even wrote a letter to my employer and said, please, can you help fund these for Ali? That's amazing. And I worked, well, I worked for FTSE 100 mm-hmm. and you know it was quite easy to, to go through that HR process and I know that's not easy for some which is why I'm very passionate about helping people in the work mm. that I do now so it was actually in that cognitive behavioral therapy that I had a lovely lovely therapist she was she was wonderful really calm just what I needed at that time and she introduced me to my toolbox it was actually her that said Ali you have got a toolbox with you at all times you can decide where it is and I, it was down by my feet and it's now down to you to fill that toolbox with all the things that make you feel good about you, that help you grow your self-esteem, that help you release and let go of some of the traumas and the past that you're in control of, which was a big <laughs> yeah. thing. But a lot of them were coping strategies, okay. but also a lot of them were tools that actually allowed me to process and deal with who I was and accept who I was um because I didn't particularly like myself when I walked into that therapist room but I think I had 18 sessions in total wow I think nine of them were funded by my Mm -hmm. employer but I then really saw the value in them and she not only did she hand me a lot of tools I've then continued through my life and acknowledged through my life actually that works for me that makes me mm. feel I should do more more of that so I've actually got 40 tools now that that's I've, amazing that that's incredible okay yeah and I call upon them in different ways for different times there's things that I use daily without even thinking about using they're just part of who I am yeah and then there's the really sticky ones the really tricky ones to use 
the ones that you leave, you know, I always use the analogy, you leave them in the toolbox and then when you get them out, <laughs> it's like, oh, you forget how to use them and it's quite tough to use them. But then when you start using it, you're like, why have I not been using this? Right, all along? Why have right. I been like struggling with the little screwdriver when I could have used the power drill? Right. Um, but yeah. I love that. I just love that analogy with the toolbox. And I know that's, you know, um, some of the core message about your work, but I, I really, really love it because it's so true that there are different tools for different times and the, the same thing isn't going to fit all every time and help you to feel better. And also, the, I love what you said about the sticky, the, the stuff that's more tricky because... I know for on a personal level that I withhold things from myself for no particular reason. Just if I'm having a low patch for some reason or other, whether it would be like low mood, low energy, feeling unworthy in some way, that means I won't access that tool, that power drill that you know will do the, the, yeah. the heavy work. I just almost won't access it and it will take me a while before I can actually push myself through that process. And I, I, I think that's really just a great message to share with people like it's okay to find it hard you know you don't yeah. dip in dip your hand in the toolbox in the metaphorical toolbox and instantly feel better sometimes it is it is a bit of work and ironically it was after writing the first book and sharing all my tools that I then became ill again and my mental health massively declined and it was only you know months into that that my husband kind of pointed out to me when I was actually talking about destroying said book, mm. is it not actually using the tools in that book? And it, I realised I was spending so much of my time and energy helping others and also trying to deal with things that had gone on in my life and dealing with those things that I'd actually really kind of stopped using all these tools. Mm. And then when I actually went back into the therapist chair, she started handing me more tools. I started being more honest and open and then using some of my new tools and my old tools that's when I came back through again. And so even the person sitting here that talks tools all the time forgot to use the tools that she needed. Yeah. And she fell ill again. Yeah. Um, but luckily, because I had them to hand a lot more accessible than maybe previously, then I was I was able to bounce back a lot quicker. Yeah. Yeah. That's really fascinating to me because there's something quite really challenging actually not quite challenging really challenging about working in the wellness sector in whatever format that you feel a huge amount of pressure to be on top of your own health all the time and oh, the reality yeah. is that we're humans and that's not possible and we're going to have natural fluctuations but you just described there such a similar process of just not accessing your tools and not it's almost not conscious is it it's unconscious it's uh, yeah. and it makes total sense that you'd got your book out talking about all these tools and then you know it's you know the universe is saying okay all right Ali show us you know <laughs> are you really going to walk the walk and then you're like yeah, oh I exactly. don't know which is interesting it's so challenging but also a really amazing process that I feel I never want to change any of it even when it's been really difficult no I I still value that so much i wonder if you have some favorites that you'd like to tell us about of your tools tell us some of the ones that you feel are like most accessible or the ones that you you get the most benefit from so my number one tool that's in you know the first one i always talk about and i give it away and it's free mm. well, it's kind of free is water yes and Funnily enough, when I wrote the first book, I hadn't really appreciated exactly mm. why. I just knew that water had been a massive crutch for me. Yeah. And then obviously the more I've worked now in the wellness industry, because that's kind of where my life is, the path that's been taken. And I'm actually I'm doing research on things. I'm finding out more. I'm like, wow, okay, that's exactly, you know, I know more about why it works scientifically. Yeah. But water for me, obviously the obvious stuff. So you two to three litres a day, which is what we should do to keep ourselves hydrated. And proactively, we should be doing that for our well-being anyway. But actually reactively and in moments of need and moments of panic, water can actually prevent panic and anxiety attacks. And for me, it was, I used to get really dry mouth. And actually, it was my therapist that said, well, if you get a dry mouth, what do you do to stop a dry mouth? You could drink maybe water. And that's kind of how it started and why mm. I would drink water, because obviously then that would take away that symptom. And yeah. But actually what water does is it triggers the parasympathetic system. So if yes. you are in a state of fight or flight, 
your body can't handle all those messages and you drinking water as well which I guess takes us back to the caveman days Mm. if you're drinking water you're probably safe Mm. and so the threat backs off um, and your parasympathetic system kicks in and you calm down and so just sipping water when you're nervous even if you're going for like a job interview or something like that can just really help keep you calm that's such so, yeah. a useful one. Oh my goodness, really okay. super simple as well. And it's one that's come up a few times actually in the podcast and I love it because everyone's got a different reason for why it's yeah. really helpful. You know, I had a nutritionist on before and she spoke about the kind of reduction, the genuine percentage reduction in depression that water has, you know, that just having 5% hydration, um, more hydration can can really sort of stop the process of, of feeling depressed. And, yes. and I do think there's something so important about, yeah, about our nourishment. And just like you say, if you're drinking water, you must be safe enough to do so. And and mm. just that in its in itself and that what that means to the body just begins that parasympathetic, that calming down yep. process. And yeah, brilliant. Love it. Well, it used to be a crutch for me, water mm. did. And in fact, funny enough, a lady who hadn't seen for years from work and she'd found out that I'd got the toolbox and all that and she was talking, she had I always wondered why you always carried water around with you. Like she goes, I really remember that about when I worked with you, you always had water. And I've actually fallen out of my husband before when we've been out shopping and he's taken my water, which to me is my crutch, and he's just finished it because he's been thirsty. And then I suddenly go into a, you know, because it it had become a crutch, but I have been able to let go of that crutch now. And I recognize now that if I haven't got my water, it's okay. It doesn't mm. mean that I'm going to have a panic attack. But for a while there, I had started to really rely on it. And it used to become like, oh, well, if I haven't got it, then I'll have a panic. Yeah. But I had to work on that as well. But yeah, water is definitely my number one tool. That's so interesting. And you're, I love what you said there about that balance between it being a tool and a crutch or something else to build balance <laughs> around because that's what we're trying yeah. to not do isn't it that when you know it's about being able to be relaxed and flexible enough that when you you don't have it you can just get some more you know it's not it doesn't need to cause a massive reaction but it's really hard because sometimes our bodies do kind of it's that level of control isn't it needing to feel in yeah. control and if I if I'm not in control then I feel stressed yeah really really powerful one thank you I wonder what else was was helpful for you so number two is conscious breathing Mm. um and again I just used to know that if I took a deep breath when I was feeling anxious or worried it would just calm me down so again that's why I wrote about it but then it was during the second therapy you know the second time in the therapist chair and I was struggling with you know I was my panic was really in my chest and my breath mm, mm. Um, I'd just get really tight chested I'd get the burps which is obviously quite embarrassing mm. um, and we were talking about this and I was talking about all the other symptoms and the therapist just really explained it in like layman's terms for me that she said when you sense a threat whether it's conscious or subconscious the first thing we automatically do as humans is change our breathing And when we change our breathing, it triggers off all those other symptoms. So the rush of adrenaline to help you either run or freeze um, or fight. And she said, so when you then flip that and change Mm. that breathing again, you call off the threat, which is why changing your breathing is just so important. But again, it's so difficult when you are in that moment of panic because you're struggling for breath mm. you can't gulp you can't swallow but just trying to ground yourself putting your feet on the ground just taking some nice deep breaths in through the nose and exhale out the mouth really can help you with your anxiety but proactively you know I do guided meditations and all sorts now another useful tool because it just helps you in moments of need it just kind of com- kicks in a lot more easily when you've practiced it mm. it feels a bit like sort of not tricking the body but distracting the body into feeling safe and secure in a moment where it's triggered and it's gone into feeling unsafe and also both of the things that you mentioned there are almost they're physical processes aren't they but in return the physical response then calms down the mental response and so then everything comes down a few pegs and you feel more settled more soothed a bit more secure 
And that's so useful because our body is such a useful tool in that way that we can nurture our body and support ourselves to feel safe. And that in turn will internally help us to feel safe as well. They're ultimately distraction techniques, you know, they're coping strategies. But one thing that I think I've really appreciated in the last 18 months is my body has got every single tool it needs to help me. It's just using it. And crying is a perfect example of that. You know, that is a tool that I talk a lot about right Mm. now, especially during the global pandemic. Right. Crying, you know, it releases endorphins. It gives you releases the same hormones that laughter does. So it actually, again, triggers the parasympathetic system. When you cried for long enough, it helps you release. Oxytocin is released Mm -hmm. as well, which is a good feel hormone. Mm -hmm. Um, But for a really young age we don't cry you know we've told you know don't cry don't mm. don't get upset oh you shouldn't cry about that but actually crying is the thing that's helping your mind process what's going on and it's a tool we were given from birth yeah. you know it's the first tool we used as we came out <laughs> to this <laughs> world the planet, you know? yeah. it's the thing that the midwives listen for they listen yeah. for your cries to know that you know that those lungs are working yet yeah it's a tool that not a lot of us will call upon because it's not brave or it's seen as weak. Yeah, Mm. we've got it. Use it. It can help you, especially when you're feeling anxious or stressed or overwhelmed. It can really help you release. Oh, Ali, I love that. I really love that. And I'll tell you why, because I'm a crier. (laughs) I'm very open about the fact that I'm a crier and I can cry so easily for many, many reasons, happy or sad. And I, I, I completely agree with you. Like I... I know it is easier as women in the sense that there are much less societal pressures on us to, it's it's much more okay to cry. But, you know, even generationally, I know that for my parents and grandparents, you know, you didn't, you didn't make a display in public. You didn't cry. And I'm someone who's cried on the tube. You know, I, I cry, I've cried everywhere. And you, sometimes you don't want it to be public. But also, on the other hand, sometimes you just need a release so intensely that yeah. it's going to come whether you want it to or not. And maybe the easy thing to do is just surrender to it and let it happen. And and like you say, all of these really useful processes in your body then start up and then, yeah, enable you to calm down. And I, yeah, I absolutely love what you said there because I just think it is a tool and we don't see it as that. We see it as something undesirable maybe. Yeah. You know, everyone jokes, don't they? It was, you know, big snotty cry and they don't want to, they don't want people to see them like that. But actually, what I find is that nobody is put off by vulnerability. Everyone no. feels more connected when someone is vulnerable in front of them. So actually, mm-hmm. I think it's really, really good. So I love that one. Yeah, really, really great. So... Yeah, I feel like I don't want to make you list off all 40 of your all 40 of your tools, but I wonder if there's like one or two more that you think actually that's essential, that's definitely one I want to talk about. Um acceptance mm. has been a big one for me and it's quite a hard one to explain and how yeah. do you use acceptance? Yeah. Um and obviously I it was talking therapy and you know and using the talking tool as well that allowed me to process some of the things that had happened in my life and accept that the only person that I could be in control of was myself yeah and accept that things happen in your life and you can't go back and change them but you can maybe learn from them and move forward Mm. but I used the talking tool the writing tool I did a lot of journaling um, a lot of releasing and letting go another tool in itself to accept the fact that you know I'm an anxious person there's a reason why I'm anxious it all makes sense it's okay to be my body and my brain have actually been working for me they're on my side happening for me not to me that was my mantra of 2020 yeah it's acceptance when you accept who you are when you accept your emotions for what they are when you accept the life that you have Mm -hmm. It can really, really help you just move forward. And ironically, when I accepted that I was an anxious person, I was no longer anxious. <laughs> you know, isn't that just, just brilliant? Isn't that just brilliant? Yeah. I I love that. 
a couple of, you've really reminded me of something a couple of years ago I mentioned to my best friend actually about being an anxious overachiever and she's going to laugh when she hears this because we are both anxious overachievers but she'd never had that phrase said to her before and I don't think I'd said it out loud although I thought it about myself <laughs> yeah. and there is something about that that you, you, there isn't anything wrong with being anxious and once you know you have you know, you've had things happen to you or you have had experiences that have caused you to be lean more towards being anxious. It's mm. no bad thing. It means that we have a really interesting skill set, which makes me and I'm sure it makes you very good at your job because you're intuitive, you're in tune with what people are feeling. You pick up yeah. on small, tiny signals because you've learned to do that as a sort of, yeah, coping mechanism over the defense mechanism, let's say. And and it's not a it's not a bad thing, but once you know it about yourself, you can take away some of the power. You know, you it's for yeah, what, exactly what you said there about it's happening for me, not to me. And I'm also yeah. reminded of what you said about your doctor as well, and how forward thinking that was. Like I thought it at the time, and I thought I must mention that that I I just love the way that that your doctor responded because potentially he'd known you for a long time, but really positive ways of of sort of looking forward and supporting you not taking you down the medication route and it's not to say at all you know that that's always what happens because it's not but it it's really lovely to hear about someone having a really good experience with their GP where they've gone and said I'm struggling and then they've had a lot of solutions offered to them you know quite gently in a way that they can take on board and I and I just think that it's really yeah, he- refreshing he was a lovely doctor and he was never bothered about waiting times either. So I was in his office for over an hour, which I'm sure the rest <laughs> of the waiting room were really pleased about. Yeah. Um, but he was known for that. He used to take your sandwiches and a, uh, you know, a pat lunch with you when you were going <laughs> to see Dr. Abdu. But he actually, when Thomas was born, mm. when Thomas was four or five months old, I started to experience paranoia, OCD, intrusive thoughts, which I didn't appreciate back then. That's what they were. And anxiety. Mm. Um convinced I had postnatal depression which I'd always thought oh well you know I'm probably going to get that because of my history with anxiety which one of the main reasons I did hypnobirthing another tool Mm. um but actually went straight away I thought I need to get help and he was so good to me the the time before that I was like straight back through his door saying can you help me I've got postnatal depression and he said Ali you haven't got postnatal depression he said you are knackered you've got a new baby four or five months old you need to find some time to sleep he said but what I am going to do for you is I'm going to get your blood tests and within 24 hours he confirmed I was b12 deficient and within two weeks after really strong medication I felt great again and I felt back in the room and all that uh, OCD intrusive thoughts have literally gone my energy was back and then but in 2019 when I started to experience the intrusive thoughts again the anxiety I thought oh could this be a B12 deficiency? Because this feels more like how I felt after Thomas was born rather mm-hmm. than 2006. So I went to the GP. By this time, he's retired. Different doctor every time you go. Yeah. And I said, hi, I'm experiencing anxiety and panic attacks again. Last time I had this was just after my son was born. It was a B12 deficiency. Can you get me tested? Well, then she said, well, before we do that, we have to, and I had to answer all these questions you know, had the mental health test, basically. And she said, you know, she offered me medication. I said, I don't want medication. I want a B12 test, please. Mm. Um, and this isn't any, you know, you know, putting her down or anything. She was just no, no, doing, no. following her guidance, following her mm. learning and all that. Then she questioned about how much I was drinking. And maybe that's why I was feeling like I was, because I did, I did admit that I'd started drinking probably too much wine at that time, because that was one of my coping mechanisms. Yeah. Um, life was too short after I'd lost a friend kind of thing um and I just said but seriously can you just get me tested my B12 sure enough it came back a B12 deficient not only my B12 deficient I've actually got porosious anemia means my body will never ever absorb B12 naturally again and I'm now on injections for the rest of my life but all the symptoms of B12 deficiency and porosious anemia are very similar to anxiety, depression, and even dementia. Oh my goodness. So in 2019, when not only was I having the OCD, I was no energy, feeling really depressed, but I also had forgetfulness. Mm. So I was cooking the kids tea and then they'd eat it. And literally within minutes, I'd say, what do you want for tea? So that was scary in itself as well. 
Yeah, really but, frightening. But I just remember that it took me 10 weeks to go from that doctor's appointment to actually having B12 injections. In fact, it was longer than that. And I just thought to myself, this wouldn't have happened had I had my original GP. And again, that is no insult whatsoever to any of the GPs. You know, Mm -hmm. I just know how lucky I was that that particular GP that I had had been my doctor for life. And we had that relationship. Yeah, yeah. There's something, there's definitely something in that, I think, about kind of the pressures on you know we're so fortunate to have the healthcare system that we do in the UK but isn't it, there is no hiding the fact that that they're under so much pressure yeah. and obviously at the moment it's beyond belief because of the pandemic but it is really hard you know I remember a similar situation to what you're talking about about having the same GP from when I was born to when I was you know late teenager early yeah. early 20s maybe and then from then I've had different GP, you know and I've moved all over the place as well but it, it is different when someone's got a long-term relationship with your health in terms of the, the level of support that they can give you, I suppose. And like you say, of course, it's not bashing any really hard-working healthcare professionals and there oh, are no, so many, but it, it just is, it's really tricky. And I think we have to take on the role of being the expert about our health because we're the ones who really know in terms of long-term. And, and like you said, you had to kind of really push for that check for b12 and what an interesting and transformative tool as well to just know that this vitamin if we're a bit low in this can have a massive impact on us and it's the case with so many that are absolutely essential for our well-being and you know and it's quite easy to top those things up as well for you obviously it's different case scenario that your body's not going to be able to take it on as easily but there are so many things like that and just kind of being in a position where we can find out a bit more about that and explore those a bit more. I know I've been to a nutritionist in the past where they can do lots of muscle testing and figure out whether you're low on certain vitamins and minerals. And it it does have a massive impact on our bodies. Like our body naturally wants to be well, doesn't it? It's just about whether yeah. it's got the right ingredients to do it. And sometimes yeah. we need to give it a bit of extra support to get them, I suppose. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But even with the B12 deficiency, I obviously did quite a lot of research then because that's what I'm like and I have to understand it. And it is not uncommon. I wouldn't say it's common, but it's not uncommon for people to be misdiagnosed with both dementia and with anxiety and depression when in fact it's a B12 deficiency. That's fascinating. Yeah. And just a really useful piece of information to be putting out there like just get it checked if you're worried yeah. you know and ask for it to be checked because it's a, you know it's a blood test isn't it for them to find out about whether you're low and then you've got that answer which could be the the root of a lot of problems really really interesting so bring us forward Ali because I know we've talked we've talked a lot we've kind of given lots of teasers about what you're doing now but we haven't really spoken in detail <laughs> about what you do now so yeah. tell us about where that's brought you on so you've had this kind of really tricky time with your mental health and anxiety and then you've found these kind of incredible tools that you've been talking about where's that led you to? So in 2016 I was pregnant with Eloise and we're at the caravan actually which is our happy place and I wrote a a Facebook post basically saying 10 years ago I was at rock bottom and I didn't Mm. even know if I wanted to be here anymore I was in a dark I didn't actually say that as 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 blatant as that but I was in a very dark place Mm. and I'm sitting here now pregnant with my second child I can't quite believe this is this is my life and how rich my life is in many many ways I'm so glad I got help. Please get help. If you're struggling with your mental health, please get help. And I was overwhelmed by the response. And it wasn't about the likes and the heart. You know, in fact, I don't think it was hearts back then. I think you really like it. Um, It wasn't about the likes. It was more to do with the private messages of people saying, I can't believe you, Ali Griffiths, because I was (laughs) Griffiths when they knew me, struggled with anxiety. You know, you were top of your game. Mm. You had... You know, you were the career girl, constantly climbing the corporate ladder, the party girl. I was a social organiser at work, always had a smile on your face, you know, always there to help other people. Like, why did you never ask for help? There were people saying, I wish I'd known. There was people saying, me too. You know, I'm really struggling. Then there was sadly the people, Ali, I'm where you 
were how can you help me you know Mm. not how can you help me but have you done it yeah Um, and so I was like right that's it I'm gonna get my tools out there and I really like writing anyway and I thought right I'm gonna write a blog but I was pregnant so it wasn't until well Eloise was born in the January 2017 and it had all been parked and then Eloise's um, well, my husband's dad came to see Eloise on the day she was born and he had a cough and he said he wasn't feeling that well and within a couple of weeks he'd moved in with us and sadly oh within four months of Eloise being born four months of the day he would he passed away oh I'm so sorry and no 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 honestly it was a really difficult and challenging time because mm. I had my father-in-law yeah it's interesting yeah and my you know newborn daughter my husband actually had a really stressful job at the time as oh well which gosh. he wasn't enjoying it's a really really tough time as you can imagine and then he passed away and my husband obviously then went through his grieving process mm. we, well we all did yeah. um and it was in kind of in the October I just felt like how have we got through this and I thought it's the tools it is the tools you know I need to get these tools out there they've Mm -hmm. come knocking again someone's telling me get them out there but my mental health had been a bit wobbly again a little bit but then understandably so and I think sometimes it's really it's really easy to call my mental health not great maybe your life's just a bit challenging at the moment and actually it's okay to be sad it's okay to be anxious it doesn't necessarily mean you've got mental health illness again no no one of the things that had really come up a few times was I'd qualified as a Reiki level one when I was pregnant with Eloise Mm. Uh, but then I didn't feel confident enough to use it with my father-in-law he had cancer he'd lung cancer not that we knew that until quite late on um in those four months but I just had this guilt that I didn't help him more Mm. so I went and did my level two just so I could help heal others and then from that I became a practitioner but that was in the November and in the October I'd started to blog on a page called sister goodness with my sister so we're both sharing our tools if you like and then within 26 weeks I shared 26 tools and before we know it my wellness toolbox was Was a book (laughs) yeah and then it was actually I went through self-publishing house and it was released in August 2018 And it was actually within nine months of releasing that that I started to experience anxiety and panic attacks again. Mm. It was after the loss of a good friend. It was actually my best friend's dad. Mm. But that wasn't the only reason, but that was one of the triggers. And that brought up a lot of things from my past. Mm. And I've always felt quite guilty about it because it wasn't my dad and Mm. she she wasn't getting the chance to grieve herself, actually. And I've always, yeah, I feel quite funny still talking about it today. But that was quite a big part in when I sat in the therapist chair that things mm. that came up because it brought me back to things that happened to me as a teenager and he was such a part of my support network then so then oh. when he died it was like my brain was yeah. like oh you've lost a massive part of your support you didn't realize yeah. how big it was until it's yeah. gone so yeah so then obviously I went on through 2019 which at the end of it seemed horrendous at times sat back in the therapist chair got using my tools again March to 2020 I went on a retreat which was amazing for a weekend and there was this talk of COVID like oh, right. are they going to really lock us down <laughs> well yeah. yeah sure enough within a week we were we were locked down and then I remember it was a really strange time because I was in a really safe place and I felt really good but was it because I was locked down that I felt really good or had I got better so you know there was this whole challenging myself all the time I thought right I need to focus I have moved forward. I need to focus on that. I need to be positive. I need to do something positive with this. Mm. And in the October, I'd actually been at the caravan and told my husband I wanted to get every copy of my wellness toolbox and burn it. Oh, Ali. Um, But then for some reason, I obviously got over that because Mm. at the very start of the lockdown, I set myself on a mission to write the second book, which was your wellness toolbox, which kind of shared the journey again more tools that I discovered but also some of the coaching techniques because in all this time as well I've qualified as a coach so I now coach others on their you know on their toolboxes as well mm. so that kind of brings together you know I'm a holistic therapist yeah. I'm a coach and an author put all those things in a pot and um they're now calling me the your wellness wonder woman <laughs> <laughs> I love that I love that I do the um I present the Silly Hill radio show as well which is a lovely show on a Wednesday and that's where I talk to people like yourself in the yeah. wellness industry about why you work in the wellness industry. And we talk tools 
because everyone's got their own tools and yes, that's the yes. message I've got you know I have 40 tools but 20 of those tools you might just dismiss straight away because your belief system or just yeah. they wouldn't work for you but the chances are at least 20 of them would help you in some way but mm. go find your own tools you know, yoga is not in my wellness toolbox and it will never be in my wellness <laughs> toolbox it makes me sick yeah some people I know yoga they just the thing that brings them back down it helps ground them it's their number one (laughs) and that's okay you know um when I read some reviews of the books and I'm challenged on my toolbox I Mm. think that's you can challenge me all you like but my tools work for me and I'm going to carry on using them yeah you know yeah um and everyone can discover their own tools so that that kind of I hope that kind of you know brings us to why I do what I do and why I'm so passionate about why I do what I do I love it. No, absolutely it does. I think it's really interesting because it kind of brings lots of the pieces of your journey together into into one place, which, you know, makes sense how it's brought you to this point. And again, your biggest pain, your biggest pain points have become where you teach from, where you sort of support other people from. And that's really incredible. I mean, my mission is that everyone needs to know that they've got a toolbox. Yeah. Um, it's not about you know it's not about the book it's not about having the book it's about having your toolbox and knowing that in that moment of need on that really bad day and even at crisis point just to think what have I got right now that I can use to help me in this moment because there is something whether it is acceptance Mm -hmm. whether it is a bottle of water whether it is essential oils whether it's reiki Mm -hmm letting go writing yoga you know <laughs> a good um, cry <laughs> a good cry a good yeah. scream <laughs> yes. a walk along the beach a sunset yeah what can you do right now in this moment to help you and nine times out of ten it's just to take a step back and breathe yes yes but I love that there is so much you can do to help you and it's also about accepting your emotions as well that's a whole other podcast yeah (laughs) Yeah, something something I really have learned in the last 18 months is your coping strategies are great your toolbox is great but you've also got to sit and deal with your emotions sometimes so yeah yeah use your coping strategies in the moment but don't just ignore what happened today go back and revisit and deal with it as well Oh, that's so powerful, Ali, like so important as well. And I think probably not, it's never spoken about enough. I think, you know, I'm sure you know that that's essentially the core of the work that I do when I'm doing art therapy is about unpacking that box that you don't want to look in, you know, internally. And some of our kind of things that we don't want to be happening, such as anxiety or, you know, intrusive thoughts or negative feelings we might be having, are in response to the fact that we're refusing to look at something really important that needs to be looked at, you know, and it's not to say it's really easy. Of course, it's not easy to open that box and look at the things that we're scared of looking at. But that's when it's the perfect time to reach out for for support from someone who can help you through that process, because it, you know, it is really hard to look in detail at our mental health and our experiences but it yes. is so freeing once you do. You know, the the way to feel better is through. It's not pretending it's not happening. And, and exactly. that's quite a hard thing to realise. But once you do, everything opens up and everything oh, gets yeah. much easier once you've kind of begun to breathe and unpick yeah. a little bit and realise that, it. you know, it's not your fault that things are really difficult right now. You know, you are always doing the best you can possibly do and that will always be enough, but it's really okay if you need a bit of extra support in any format, you know, whatever that may be. And I, I love your tools because I just think it's so accessible and and it's just, just such a lovely, tangible thing for people to take away and go and think about, like, what are my tools? What are the things that support me? And even yeah. I am thinking at the end of this, like, yeah. I always want to go and doodle and, like, figure out yeah, what all those things are. Because, I, you know, I, I sort of know them on the periphery, but but to, to really have them somewhere that you can pull them out of the, out of the drawer and say, yeah, this is, this is what I want to support me with today is, is just so, so powerful. One of the first things I do with anyone that works with me is I say, okay, blank piece of paper. I want you to write down what you do for you every single day. And they struggle. 
Yes. Always go, well, actually, you know, I'm a working mom. I haven't got time to do anything for myself. I don't do anything for myself. I said, okay, cool. So you're struggling with that right now. You can't leave anything that you do for yourself right now, apart from a couple of days a week, you might have a bath or something yeah. like that. And then I'll say, okay, should I tell you what I do for me every day? And I'm like, I wake up in the morning and I'll practice gratitude mm-hmm. and I'll do some conscious breathing, not religiously, but I do do it most days. I'll get up and I'll have a shower and I use a really, really nice body scrub most of every other day because it's one that I really like and it's kind of my treat to myself and I also will drop peppermint or um, lemongrass is my latest Mm. in the shower tray and then I'll have my five minutes that's my time to process my thoughts then as I get out the shower I'll get myself ready I'll go downstairs I'll have my my first glass of water of the day I'll turn the essential oil diffuser on that's good for the whole family positive playlist goes on and I haven't even turned the kettle on love that's how many things I've done for myself so now we'll go back what do you do for yourself every day and they go well actually I've never really seen a shower I've seen that as a basic need I've never seen that as a treat treat. I'm not I'm not saying it doesn't have to be a treat it's just something that you do it's part of your self-care that you do for yourself every day yeah and when you find gratitude in the things that we do and we respect if you like is respect mm-hmm. the right word or acknowledge actually we do do things we have less resentment yeah and that in itself is good for our well-being so anyway so but good. yeah again I could do a whole podcast on this <laughs> <laughs> no but <laughs> I just love that it's just acknowledging that actually we do do a lot of things for ourselves but we don't see them as those because we just get so wrapped up in our day but music we didn't cover music that's my number three because let's get the endorphins going every single day yes. with the songs that actually do uplift you. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And I I also love by doing that, you're telling yourself, you're affirming your self-worth right from the moment you've woken up that I am important enough to do these things for myself. I am important enough to have this lovely shower. I am important enough to have this playlist on, have the diffuser on, whatever it might be. And those, they might seem like tiny things, but they really build up. And so much of the time, the basis of all of our struggles in terms of mental health will come from a worthiness perspective, whether you feel enough, whether you feel worthy, whether your self-esteem is is high enough, you know, or whatever it might be, it's going to be around that area. And essentially, so much of the work I do is about self-esteem and so much of my own work is about self-esteem and it's I just think what a powerful way to say you're worthy without even needing to say it you know and that's just beautiful and when Thomas who's my eldest walks in the room and says oh mommy I like the smell of this one just puts a (laughs) smile on my face and it's like you know it's it's works a lot of these tools aren't just for me um they work for the kids without them even trying yes so it's it's powerful stuff I just have to remember to use it all the time but I don't you know I do forget sometimes and on those days where I am struggling a little bit I think what is it I haven't done today oh actually do you know I didn't pop lemongrass in this morning I bet you that Mm. that, you know yeah so oh maybe I'll go have a little squirt of essential oils or something but yeah there's just so much stuff out there that we can do for ourselves that don't take that much time but when we do make the time to incorporate them into our everyday, which is very little time, it makes a huge difference to our day. Love it. Thank you so much, Ali. I feel like this has been absolutely full of gold dust, you know, real quality (laughs) stuff for people, which is so lovely and really upbeat as well. You know, even though we're going through talking about a difficult time there's so much hope and so much positivity to be found in your experience which which fills me with hope which makes me feel really yeah joyful about that experience I think what is the best way for people to get in touch if they think yeah this message really resonates with me I want to find out more or get in touch with Ali what's the best way to do that so on all social media I'm Ali Swift Okay. On Facebook, it does come up as Ali Swift, my wellness toolbox, but mm-hmm. it's the, the handle is Ali Swift UK. My website is aliswift.co.uk or just drop me an email at ali at aliswift.co.uk <laughs> and I'm always happy to talk tools. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much and thank you for your time. I feel like it's been, yeah, really, really enjoyable. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me into your space. Thank you. You're so welcome. 
What an incredible episode. Ali is full of so much wisdom and hope and it's just incredible to know that someone who's been through what she has been through can then take this pain and really make it into purpose and create something beautiful that supports other people as well. I really hope you've enjoyed today's episode and this is the penultimate one in the series. So next week we have one more episode before I'm going to be taking a quick break before series three already. I really hope you've enjoyed today's episode and remember you can always let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. It's always amazing to hear from you. Otherwise, take really good care and you'll hear from me soon.